Before we share the Lord's Supper together this morning, we will return to our study in the book of Ephesians. We are working through the book of Ephesians verse by verse. We are in chapter 4 and verses 7 through 12. Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 7 through 12. Now, I want to review just briefly where we were two weeks ago. Last week we had the special service for Labor Day. But two weeks ago we looked at Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6. I want to just review that very briefly with you this morning because it's an important lead-in into our passage this morning. If you remember, I shared with you that when we move from Ephesians chapter 3 to Ephesians chapter 4, there is an important transition that takes place. As Paul often does in his letters, part of it is doctrine or teaching, and the other part of the book is application. That is very true for the book of Ephesians, the letter to the church at Ephesus. Chapters 1 through 3 are Doctrine Doctrine simply means teaching. Paul tells us about our great salvation in Christ. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He tells us of our identity in Jesus Christ. And he tells us of all the blessings that are ours because we belong to Jesus Christ. And then in, so that's chapters 1 through 3. Then in chapters 4 through 6, Paul is saying, now live out who you are. Here's who you are. Now live out who you are. And as I shared with you two weeks ago, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 is the gateway to the whole remainder of the book. In verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's what chapters 4 through 6 are about. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And do it with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And then we looked at that key key verse, Ephesians 4, 3, where it says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you pray to receive him as your Savior, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and you are supernaturally bound together with all believers and that binding together manifests itself in whatever specific local church you choose to worship in. And at the time that we are born again, we participate in what is a supernatural unity. God has supernaturally given us unity as a church, as a body of believers. We are to maintain that unity. We do not create unity, we do not produce unity, we do not manufacture unity. We don't get some book and say, okay, here's how to be unified. I'm not saying that's wrong. But we have a supernatural unity that is a gift from God and we are to maintain what God has given us. Why is this so important? Because we are one body, one spirit. We were called to one hope. We are 
one Lord, or excuse me, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Well, that leads us into our passage this morning. In verses 7 through 12, Paul writes, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Well, our first point this morning is grace gifts. Ephesians 4, 7 through 12 begins the description of how a unified church labors together to encourage one another towards spiritual maturity. We are unified. Unless we mess it up. Unless we become divisive and have conflicts among us. We have unity. It's a gift from God. Now here is how we labor in the midst of that unity to encourage each other towards spiritual maturity. Let me give you just a brief outline and then we'll come back and look at it more closely. Verse 7 says that Christ has gifted each one of us for ministry. Every one of us who know Christ as Savior. Verses 8 through 10 shows us how Christ obtained the right to give gifts. How he is the only one who can sovereignly choose and decide who gets what spiritual gifts. Verses 11 through 12 tell us that there are specially gifted men through whom the Lord blesses and equips the whole church. Well, let's go back to verse 7. Every genuine believer has been gifted by God's grace according to the sovereign design of the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Who is the head of this church? It sure isn't Pastor Tim. It is Jesus Christ. He is the head of this church and every church that preaches and teaches God's inerrant and infallible word. And he has given to us, every single one of us who know Christ as Savior, he has given us spiritual gifts. When you trust Christ as Savior, when you are redeemed, when you are born again, you get spiritual gifts. You might get a particular gift or a variety of gifts, and the gifts we have are different. Your gifts might be different than my gifts and different than someone else's spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts are different. They are different than natural talents and abilities. Okay, natural talents and abilities are something that you are born with naturally. Unbelievers have natural talents and abilities. Spiritual gifts are given to them to you the time you are reborn, at the time you become a believer. Now, the emphasis in this passage is not a description of the gifts, but the use of those gifts for the good of the body of Christ. I want to say that again. 
Paul's intention here is not to give us a list of the spiritual gifts. They are found in Scripture. Whether it's the gift of serving, the gift of teaching, the gift of helps, the gift of mercy, the gift of generosity, or one of the other spiritual gifts. Those are listed in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter chapter 4 predominantly. Again, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter chapter 4, if you want to look at what are the lists of the spiritual gifts. But Paul's intention here is that we all have gifts. They are different gifts. God has given those gifts to us, and they are for the good of the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, which is believed to be a direct commentary by Paul on Ephesians 3, 7, which reminds us that the Bible is always the best commentary on the Bible. So 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6 is an excellent commentary on Ephesians 3, 7. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, it says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So, let me put it this way. You have been spiritually gifted for the glory of God, for the good of others, and for the unity of the church. You have spiritual gifts. Every one of you who know Christ as Savior, whether you realize it or not, you have a spiritual gift. And you are to use that gift for the glory of God, for the good of others, and for the unity of the church. Well, that leads us to our second point this morning, and that is a worthy Savior and gifted servants. The Apostle Paul in verses 8 through 10, describes the great victory that Christ accomplished in securing our salvation. A victory that included, or excuse me, a victory that resulted in spiritual gifts for his redeemed people. Now, when you read verses 8 through 10, let's say you're just reading through the book of Ephesians, you may think it's a pretty complicated three verses. And actually, It is not. It is not. I just want you to remember in verses 8 through 10, this is the great victory that Christ has accomplished for us that allows him to be the one that bestows us each with spiritual gifts and tells us of his great victory and triumph. Now, verses 8 through 10 are actually... or In those verses, Paul is alluding to the Old Testament specifically... Psalm 68 and verse 18. In Psalm 68, David describes the great victory of God over his enemies in scattering his enemies. And in verse 18 of Psalm 68, it talks about God going up on the great mountain, Mount Zion. And he goes up there in the form of the Ark of the Covenant declaring his great victory over his enemies and giving gifts to all those who are his people, to all those who belong to him. And Paul uses that to describe Christ's great victory 
on our behalf. In verse 8 it says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. When Jesus Christ, or after Jesus Christ, died as a substitute and replacement for us on the cross, as a substitute for our sins, when he rose victoriously from the dead, he then ascended to the right hand of, the, of God the Father, the highest place of authority and power in all of the universe. And when he took his seat at the right hand of the Father, he of course sent us the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit indwelt you, the Holy Spirit gave you spiritual gifts, gave all of us spiritual gifts. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. When it says he led a host of captives, it's a wonderful picture. It means when he ascended, having accomplished his great victory in his death and resurrection, he set free all of us who believe in him, who used to be captives, captives to Satan and sin and death. So he set you free from Satan's sin and death and gave all of us spiritual gifts. What a great statement. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9 says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. Again, not really a complicated statement. If he ascended, it must mean that first he descended, which he did. Christ humbled himself and came to this earth and became a man and lived among us and died in our place and rose victoriously from the grave, leaving an empty tomb and then ascended. But if he was to ascend, he first had to in love descend. Verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. After he descended, then he ascended. But he didn't just ascend a little ways. He ascended far above all the heavens. And it says that he might fill all things. Seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ, right now as we meet together, rules and reigns over every inch of the entire universe. He rules and reigns over every part to every inch of this earth because he has accomplished a great victory for us. So in essence, verses 8 through 10 are a parenthetical statement simply saying you have spiritual gifts because your Savior has been victorious and triumphant. And so he is the only one who can sovereignly decide who gets which, which gifts for the good of the body of Christ. Well, that brings us to the last part, verses 11 and 12. In the midst, excuse me, in the midst of Christ's church, God has especially gifted certain men to help everyone in the body of Christ to use their spiritual gifts for the edification of the church and the spread of the gospel. Edification simply means to build up and to equip, 
to build up and to equip others. So in verses 11 and 12, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to, notice this, equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Then we'll see in subsequent weeks to come, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's why you have spiritual gifts, so that we might build one another up in our faith and be powerful and wonderful testimonies for Christ, both here and around the world. And I want you to notice how verses 11 and 12 flow directly from verse 7. Again, verses 8 through 10 are what are known in Scripture as a parenthetical statement, talking about Christ's great victory. But it really goes from verse 7 to verses 11 and 12. You've all been given spiritual gifts, each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift according to the grace of God. So in order to help you to know how to use those gifts, God has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip you for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Well, verses 11 and 12, we're just going to kind of stop right there because that is going to form the basis of next week's message. This is part one. Next week will be part two of Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. Now, next Sunday is going to be an important Sunday, and I hope, I pray, a special Sunday for us as a church, because next Sunday morning, I am going to use verses Seven, excuse me, verses 11 and 12. They actually fit perfectly to do this. By God's grace, it worked out this way. But I'm going to use verses 11 and 12, not only to explain what it means, but then to share with you next Sunday morning about the leadership structure of First Baptist Church. That is something I don't think I've done often enough, or that we've done often enough with you as the people of God here. I'm going to explain what is the leadership structure here at First Baptist Church. For example, what is the role of the congregation in the government of the church? That's actually a very important question. Here's a question that I get a lot. What is the difference between an elder and a deacon? What is the biblical difference between an elder and and a deacon. What is the role of the missions committee? What role does the missions committee play in the congregation and in relation to the other leaders in the church? And so I'm going to do that next Sunday morning. And then next Sunday evening, our elders, all our elders, we have, and I'll explain this more next week, we have vocational elders, which we also call pastors, And we have non-vocational elders or lay elders. The nine elders are going to do a presentation on a 10-year ministry plan for our church. We are going to share with you some concepts that we have been talking about and putting together to let you know 
as the people of God here at First Baptist Church, that your leadership is thinking about and planning for the future of this church because we think planning for the future by the grace of God is an extremely important thing to do. And then after the Sunday night service, next Sunday night, the 16th, we're going to have food and a fellowship. And not only will we fellowship with one another, but you're going to have an opportunity at that fellowship to ask any of the elders questions about the tenure ministry presentation that we give during the evening service. So that's just what's coming up. And I wanted to let you know that we're excited about it and looking forward to it. But that's next Sunday. As we go to the Lord's Supper this morning, Actually, Ephesians 4, 8 through 10 is an amazing communion passage. It really is. Because it talks about the fact that our Savior descended to this earth and won a great victory for us in his death and in his resurrection, which is the sole basis for our salvation. And then he ascended on high and he rules and reigns over all the universe. And as we take the bread and the cup this morning, let us meditate deeply on the fact that we serve a victorious and triumphant Savior. At this time, we will share the Lord's Supper together.